I am the master, and you will obey me. Listen to Dan Hadley on Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast, or face the consequences. for Type 40, your Doctor Who podcast from the Spacebook for the Fandom Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hadley, Birmingham's King of the Geeks, your designated driver. Got that one up a lot higher than I thought it would. (laughs) Your designated driver and mouth runner here to open up Doctor Who conversation once again here on our free speaking, big thinking show for everyone. That's whatever decade or century you started watching, reading, or listening along to those ongoing adventures of our hero, Doctor Who. We talk about it all on this show. We even throw in the odd laugh or two, here or there, now and again, along the way. So come and step into our TARDIS in this 60th anniversary year with us here on Type 40. Yeah, back in the TARDIS for another one, I'm happy to say. And with the, the warm glow of copper, bright lime green, and all that jazz. A refreshing look, I think. And uh, another fellow traveller to pull back aboard. Make yourselves comfy. I intend to for a casual catch-up with the FPN's very own Airtime Lord. He's the culture clashing, the true believing Kyle Wagner. First of all, I love what you've done with the place. A little bit of dulling spray on the copper, though. Sometimes the reflections throw me just just a little bit. But, um, you know, I, I got to admit, I love the neon lighting. I, I love the feel of it. It's, considering where we're coming from, this is an absolutely beautiful set. I was <laughs> yeah, going to say that right now. Let's get, let's get that monkey out of the way. So much has happened since we last spoke, hasn't it, Carl? Because we only seem to manage to, to uh, sort of uh, combine our time streams two or three times a year, don't we? But we, whenever we do, there's always so much to go back on and get into. And we, we throw each other messages now and again, don't we? Have you heard this? Have you seen that? What's the truth in this? What do you make about that? We're going to go uh, into all of it, aren't we? And cover as much as we can in as uh, a short period of time, I suppose, as we can before our, our own Zyton 7 crystals don't get fried with, with an overload of geekiness because the 60th anniversary year already, it's like new Doctor Who news practically every single week. 
Oh, it, it, it's crazy. But before we get started, sir, if, if I may have a moment, because Phantom Podcast Network just had its anniversary here just not that long ago, just a few months back. I just happened to be in my busiest time in real world work, so I couldn't, it was hard to acknowledge it. But around this time, five, six years ago, a certain podcast got started. Myself and former our co- other co-founder who is off doing great things with the Roddenberry Network now, Norman Lau, kind of started this mm-hmm. little Doctor Who thing. And all of a sudden this Dan Hadley appeared out of nowhere saying, I, I'm, I'm a passionate fan. I want to take care of it. You know what? He was so great at it. We threw him the ball and he has run with it so huge. We are so proud of him and how much he's growing Type 40 and being part of the Fandom Podcast oh. Network. Even though he he's grown up beyond what he's put so much hard work into it. And I just wanted to just say before we get started how proud everybody here stateside is of, the, of you and what you've done with the, not only for the Fandom Podcast Network with this show, but what you've done growing not only Type 40, but the Spacebook and the podcaster and presence just in within the community of podcasting, YouTube, all of it that you've become. And it's just been an amazing job by you with nothing but incredibly hard work and effort on your end. Well, thank you. It's nice to be appreciated. I say it's only been five years. I can't remember a time now when I didn't do this. That's so strange. It would seem oh now to not do this and talk it, to you and everybody else. It's all my fault, isn't it? Kind of. Yeah, that's kind of, kind of not. But just, no, I just yeah. wanted to make sure that that the Type Forty listeners who've joined over the the years and stuff know just where you started and how far you've come and how proud we are of you. Yeah, it's coming so. up to the fifth anniversary of the the publication of mm-hmm. the first episode of Type Forty. I feel old yeah, now. <laughs> I might be due for a regeneration here at any moment, so just just saying, if I change during the show, don't don't say don't say that because we've got enough to contend with as it is. Doctor Who seems to be the only show on TV, actually the only show that I can really think of that has ever had two leads at the same time playing the same bloke. It's this isn't the Dukes of Hazard or or Chips or Starskin Hutch. We have two reigning doctors kyle is that how it seems to you as well it does and it doesn't i'm actually going to give bbc disney plus and I mean, we got to talk about that too and I, we've talked about it a little bit you and yeah. i had a deep conversation about that but bbc bad wolf productions disney plus huge props because i think they've actually handled this marketing of these two doctors brilliantly obviously the focus yeah. on tenant right now as it should be but what i'm loving is the little bit of shooty that they're giving us here and there, especially in all the different outfits. I want to say this because I know this has been a sticking point for some people. And I think it's I think it's something we need to think about more with this. The budget increase in Doctor Who because of Disney Plus affords them to do more things like give the Doctor more outfits because he's going to be to fit different times he's in. Instead of the Doctor always having some kind of his either his off-ball, off-costume or off-wardrobe that doesn't fit. We're going to see Shooty become maybe this chameleon, more of a chameleon of type of doctor who tends to fit in more with the times he's in. If that's how they're going with that, I think it's going to be very interesting, and I like the concept of it. Plus, I think I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to it could add another fun aspect to the, to the doctor. And I know some people are like, no, the doctor has to have the one the one look, and that's tradition. But in this case, maybe it's something to wear. Maybe at the end of Shooty's first season, we, he decides on his outfit for a while. This is the, that's the kind of fun I think you need to have with Doctor Who. Again, I think we're at the same place we were with Eccleston. We're trying to get new people in, and I think this is a way way to do it without really going bonkers of changing tradition, much like maybe our last run tried to do. 
it has been a bit of a bone of contention. Some people are shocked by this. I've said several times, I'm not going to go back on what I've always said in that, in that the silhouette of the doctor, of each doctor, is incredibly important. To act as a sort of marker of the character, it's sort of those silhouettes, they are what endure throughout the decades. I think even when the actors return to the parts 10, 20, 30 years on in, in some cases, but as long as they can still sort of fill, fill that silhouette, people will accept maybe a, a, a wrinkle or two around the eyes and the fact they don't run as quickly as they used to, they can accept that. If that actor still fills that, fills that silhouette and makes us feel the same way we did when we were, when we were 10, Having said that, I'm interested by these choices. I'm interested by Shutigatwa as an actor. I've still not really seen him do anything. The thing about the character of the Doctor is that each actor, to really make it work, has to, um, has to meld it, mesh it together with their own personality, their own inclinations. And I get the impression that Shutigatwa himself, Kyle, is a bit of a clothes horse. He enjoys fashion. He enjoys clothes. He seems to experiment a lot with style, <laughs> much to the amusement of a lot of people, other people who, are, who come onto the podcast. And uh, whilst I think we could say, oh, you know, this, you know, that's women's clothes, or that makes him look like Shaft, or that makes him look like whatever, I never feel like I'm not looking at somebody who's who's having fun and who doesn't seem like they're connecting with the character. You know, I've seen him say precisely one line i may be jumping the gun but none of this is a deal breaker for me i'm happy if they want to not exactly break the mold but sort of push outward from it a little bit and challenge some of my perceptions and, and not sacrifice holy cows as such but as you say just go a little more global with it and, and maybe think a little bigger and try these new things and if they don't work it looks to me like they've still got a, a good actor in the right role at the right time to fall back on his natural instincts to really power it through and, and settle on what will be the look. Hopefully by the middle point in his era, there will be some sort of silhouette which will be the enduring sort of, that enduring marker. I, I don't know. They have a similar style to him. They're not like they all do. over the, they're not all over the place. He has some kind of jacket on, a shirt underneath. But, you know, I think not only, I, I know how important the silhouette of the Doctor is, but so is the personality of the Doctor. Yeah. yeah. And I think we've, I'll let me be honest with you. I, I don't even think Peter Capaldi truly got his Doctor personality until about halfway through season two. I think one of the great things that's about this situation is because Shudi is getting time to explore his version of the Doctor, to develop it without having this pressure of, oh, I, I'm coming in right here. I, he's now coming in after David Tennant who's going to give things, give interest back up again. So he's not coming in trying to necessarily, I hate putting it this way, but I, I, I think it's the only way I can put it, coming in to be the franchise savior. I think that's what, that's what David Tennant is for. So then he can hand the baton proper to Shooty. I think he's going to be a good doctor. And from what I've seen about it is, it's something to where it feels like he's genuinely excited to be the doctor. He's there because... He's excited to be there. He's not there because a friend put them in the role. <laughs> Naming no names. Obviously, he seems an excitable character, doesn't he? Did you see him at the Coronation concert? That was screened on British television and, and uh, millions of people watched it. I know it was transmitted all over the world, but I, did you manage to catch any of it and see Shooty getting his yeah. Shakespeare on and jive in there? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, no, and I, I think that's a, I think it's another good thing because 
I think what he's going to do is I think he's going to bring an energy for what they were hoping to get with Jody, which was a new generation of fans. I think mm-hmm. Shooty's going to bring that energy and some of the sensibilities of a younger generation, but he's still going to give us something as older Who fans that will respect where Doctor Who has come from. And I think I think that is the biggest obstacle Doctor Who is fighting right now is that you have the old school fans who don't want things to change and you have the you have the, the fans out there that are just want something totally different and i think it's again and i think it's just, you know it speaks to the way the world is too i think they're trying to find something in the middle and i think what when they can figure out that amalgamation of everything and i think shooty's the kind of person that i from what i've seen of interviews with him um, I love there was an event he was at with Peter Capaldi where Peter Capaldi was awarded and yeah, Capaldi spoke so incredibly highly of him yeah. and Shudi just gave him nothing but the ultimate respect. This is a, somebody who I think truly understands the importance of the doctor and, but, and understands what he is doing in the role. It is obviously it's a 60th anniversary year. We're about to embark on what members of the production team, Kyle, on social media I think in a in a in a blind moment of absolute transparency, I've described as the uh, the second reboot of Doctor Who, and uh, I'm not sure how many people saw this, but uh, yeah, it was Danny Hargreaves, the special effects guy, the returning special effects guy, who's who's publicly said that. But Bad Wolf and Russell T Davies and BBC Studios, right from the, ver- the very beginning, from the earliest press releases, with the news that that it was going to a new home have always labelled this as all new Doctor Who. And this is something that uh, I've been constantly repeating. I've done my bit to constantly repeat, to underline to people how this is, we are where we are. It's that simple. You may have liked what what was directly before it or not. If you enjoyed it, I wouldn't want to take that away from you in, in all seriousness. But this is a second reboot. This was required. And this is all new for better or worse. It's exciting. Yeah, it is a bit of a squeaky bum time for some of us older fans. But I think we're better off just buckling up for the ride and and being as open as we can be and, and celebrating celebrating a new era and the fact that people are talking about this show again. I, and- I think I think you hit hit on the head about and I agree. I think it is a bit of a second rebirth. It's we're going into let me put it this way. We're going into the third chapter of Doctor Who, in my opinion. Obviously, we talk classic cool who from the first doctor through the eighth doctor. A sec, the second generation of who from the ninth doctor through um, our Jodie Whittaker. And now I think we're starting a new chapter of Doctor Who. But the thing <laughs> is, we're do, we're doing it with a familiar face and somebody who's already been knows how to properly. I don't want to say reboot Doctor Who, but breathe life into Doctor Who and. I think in this case, too, when you add in the combination of having Bad Wolf much more heavily involved again, well, it kind of of at least puts at ease some of the old school Doctor Who fans. You add in the Disney Plus thing for the worldwide distribution, which means Doctor Who is going to be back on a platform that is going to make it be talked about and make it be recognized, plus the influx of money that goes into the show from this. And I think the BBC realizing in a way whether they intend to or not that they're taking a step back out of it and let when you have 
such a popular studio as Bad Wolf involved, and then you add Disney into it. I think the BBC's they're involved, but they're not as heavily involved as they were. No, nowhere, nowhere near. They've pretty much handed the keys to Bad Wolf. Bad Wolf are a big concern in the British TV industry. If this version of Doctor Who fails, it won't matter how successful his Dark Materials and I Hate Sue's and all their other productions are, if they make a balls up of Doctor Who, the entertainment industry, the fan base and the general audience will be um, unforgiving, shall we say. So and this has to this has to work. I, I think it's, for everybody involved has to work. I, I think it's going to work because I think he, you're getting somebody who knows the Doctor and knows what the importance of the Doctor is. You're getting somebody... Yes, Russell T. Davies has always had his agendas, but the difference between Chris Chibnall and Russell T. Davies is Russell T. Davies has never hit you over the head like a hammer with his agendas. <laughs> yes, he's worked them into his storylines. I'm not... They always, all, Every writer does. And he's but, been very clear about them as well. He's always been yeah. very honest and open about I, what his stories are about and the, and the people that he wishes to tell stories about. But... He, when he did put characters that may have reflected his thoughts or values in there, he wrote them in a way that they didn't feel like they were being shoehorned in. And he wrote them in a way that they would be beloved or at least, you know, recognized and things like that and things of that nature. And again, you have, I think you, when you have Disney in there almost being like a buffer wall between BBC and Bad Wolf, because now it's not the BBC isn't throwing in as much money as they used to. I yeah. think that's going to give Russell a little bit more freedom to tell the stories he wants to tell. And like I said, I just have, a, I had just going off past experience. And I know some people don't like Russell T Davies and some of the stuff he's done more recently after his run on who, but I at least have faith in him that he is not going to force us, force a doctor upon us. That is strictly what he believes the doctor should be. He's going I, I never felt that's the one thing I felt whether it was Eccleston or Tennant, I never felt like this was a doctor that the writer was telling me this is what the doctor should be. And I did feel that way with Jody. I always felt like Chibnall was always um like, no, this is how the doctor should be. Just like I never really ever felt Moffat did that either. I, I think I think I think what works with Russell T. Davies and with Moffat was they played off the energy of the act the actor who was the doctor at the time to help write their stories. And as they kind of worked together, to yeah, they that. became informed by, the, by their beings, by their instincts, the choices that they would make. And it was, it was as if together they rounded yeah. out those characters and, and, and um, interlaced uh, the doctor and the actual person so that it would be uh, uh, believable and it would be, Enough for the actor, I felt, Kyle, to feel confident that in playing this character, who he is, for all intents and purposes, may as well be a god, as someone once, once said in, in the show, to, to find the, if not the humanity inside that, then, then the soul of the character. Yeah. And I think the other thing is, too, at least in Shooty's case, is that from the look of it, it's going back to you have your one main companion. Maybe there's a secondary companion, companion much like an Arthur Darville was with was or even Mickey back in the day, the day with yeah. Rose. But there's not going to be like this whole 
group of companions. And I think that, especially for the first season with Shooty, that's going to be so important because then you're going to get to grow both your doctor and your new companion without trying to fit three or four people and develop three or four characters and develop that relationship. You're developing this one relationship between this doctor and this companion. And I think I think it's just we're when when it's all said and done, when Shooty's run starts, because I think obviously our tenant specials, those are a totally different situation. Different animal, yeah. Even though it's a quote unquote different doctor, it's still David Tennant. And it's still <laughs> Catherine Tate and it's people who've been there. They they have they're they're climbing into old shoes. We're getting but and when Shooty starts his run as the fifteenth, he's going to just I think he's going to be able to get something that I, I still believe to this day and what you know what, that Jody Whitaker never got was the chance to actually create his own doctor. Let's let's hope so. I'm excited. You've seen seen a damn sight more of Shooty Gatwa in action than I have. I've seen so so little. That was largely it on the Coronation concert and that and a couple of adverts I've seen that he's done. And I, at the moment, I'm not seeing anything that I don't like uh, of, of his performances, certainly. So, yeah, I've, obviously, oh. I'm staying tuned. I front a Doctor Who podcast. But, but I haven't got that creeping feeling that I, I had in 20... Well, more so in 2018, to be fair, that they've, that they've got it wrong. I, I'm not feeling that, certainly yeah, not yeah, yet. Yeah. You know what I think part of it is too, Dan, is that we're not getting force-fed. It could be. It could be. Uh, with all of that excitement, I, I just want to ask you really, I suppose, about the Disney angle too. Because obviously with all this, as you said, all this new money and uh, if not bigger ideas, then certainly ideas and resources that uh, could have been out of bounds before to... The, the new Doctor Who from 2005 to uh, to 2017. With all of that, also comes the ability to um, pick names out of the the roller deck, I suppose. <laughs> Call up people who are are uh, fa- uh, faithful uh, and um, associates, I suppose, of a given brand. And so I wondered if you'd seen, if you've been keeping track of some of the casting announcements for all new Doctor Who that have been popping up over the last week or two. I First of all, and I think you'll probably know who this is, Indira Varma was announced as uh, joining the cast. I, I got to talk, because this is the beautiful, the stunning, the amazingly talented Indira Varma, who <laughs> I have been a fan of for a very, very long time, going all the way back to... <laughs> my first introduction she's been in a few movies but um mm. she she did she did a show here in the states called the human target and she did the second season of that i loved the human target and she was phenomenal in the second season yeah. um there isn't of course it's technically not her debut since it's technically not her debut in the doctor who universe because no she no she's been around for a very very well, long time well, she, massive was, she was in the first Pembroke. episode of torchwood she was yes, a member was, of Torchwood. Yeah. Her, uh, her character was so she 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 has a little familiarity. Obviously, Game of Thrones. She's been huge in that. But this, this she is an absolute talent and wonderful actress. And I was so excited to hear that she's playing the Duchess. Now I'm not quite sure where this character is falling within the storyline as of yet. But I am. If she's going to be heavily involved, whether she's on the side of the Doctor or she's against the Doctor, either way, I'm. You have me sold right here. 
<laughs> me too. I've said many, many times. When people have asked me, Kyle, uh, what would your ideal woman look like? And I've often said, well, I would take Indira Varma's head mm -hmm. and put it on Indira Varma's body. It's yeah, pretty much Indira Varma <laughs> and yeah. has been for about 30 years. I've had a crush on this woman for the longest time, since the mid-90s yeah. when I first saw mm -hmm. her in a film. I think you probably know, some of you may know the film I'm talking about. Uh, but yes, she has Yeah, had, yeah I, I, oh. I, I, if I know which film you're talking about, I think any um, male who, ha who has blood running You can say it, red-blooded red male, yeah, yeah. Every red-blooded <laughs> male had a crush on her from that film. <laughs> Absolutely gorgeous. And she used to do one of those kind of in Elvira strands on a cable channel in Britain. She was part of the Sci-Fi channel and she would introduce B-movies on a Friday night, sort of about 11 o'clock at night, in character as a kind of, a, as a witch who, depending on the film that she was introducing, would change her outfit and sort of play up to the camera and things like that. Indira Varma is an actress who I have always thought, again, she makes really interesting choices. You never really know where she's going to turn up next, but always seems to be having a lot of fun. But on top of that, she's award-winning too. I thought that there was no chance that she would ever turn up in Doctor Who. And looking back, particularly in light of recent developments and, and other people that have come, uh, come back to the show in, in uh, new parts... I think that was obviously... <laughs> you know, I feel really stupid now, because here she is. The BBC announced on the 24th of May 2023 that uh, yeah, Indira Varma will be joining the cast of Series 14 of Doctor Who. And, uh, yeah, I remember her as... Judy, I think everybody remembers her as Susie Costello in Torchwood, one of the original cast members of Torchwood. So she was in the, that first episode, as you say. And then she turned up again a few, episode, <laughs> a few episodes later to the surprise of everybody, because, of course, she was killed in the pilot episode, wasn't she? And it was one of those jaw-dropping moments, I suppose, that Russell T. Davies pulled out of the pack early doors on Torchwood to make it clear to us that this really wasn't, this really wasn't Doctor Who. Uh, the idea that she's playing this character that then... They've mentioned the Duchess before. I think Russell T. Davies has mentioned the Duchess mm -hmm. in his column in Doctor Who magazine and in little press releases. So I think this character isn't going to be a five-minute role. It looks like it's going to be a pretty big deal. And yeah, obviously, I, don't, I, I couldn't see her coming in unless she was getting a fairly good-sized role at this point. Because she's just come off the back of, of several. As you, you mentioned Game of Thrones earlier on, but that's just one, isn't it? Of a, a whole list of, of great dramas. You mentioned The Human Target, but there's also a key role in Luther as well. And uh, a recent turn in the Disney Plus show, Obi-Wan Kenobi, yeah. where she played a, uh, I suppose you could say she was a turncoat familiar of Obi-Wan, wasn't she? It was, a, it was yeah. one of those, um, it wasn't exactly a, com a complex character, but because she's got such dramatic weight, I think she's getting to that age now where she, she brings that weight. She's not just a very beautiful woman, but she's got all, all of this experience behind her. So she was a memorable character in that, I felt. She's a 50 years old, English actress of Indian, Italian and Swiss descent. And uh, yes, lots of, lots of uh, awards for stage work as well as what she's done on the big and the small screen. Yeah, um, but real quick, Dan, I want to throw out a couple other things that she's been doing that have had a little bit more uh, attention to in the States is 
she was did eight episodes of the uh, first in the first season of the Amazon original show Carnival Row with Orlando Bloom. Oh yeah, yeah. And so then recently, she's been doing another Amazon animated project where she's the voice of Alora in the Legend of Vox Machina, which is also on Amazon, which has a very interesting cult popular following to it. So much she does seem to like. Either she likes geeky shows and movies and productions, or they like her. I don't care which it is i'm just glad that she, glad that she's around so we've got a quote here from indira and she said i'm thrilled to be in doctor who and particularly excited to be crossing cosmic paths with shooty as the doctor and looking forward to creating interplanetary mischief with him i loved playing susie costello for russell t davis in torchwood so i'm thrilled to be entering this world again that's that's a great quote that's a really interesting quote interplanetary mischief a character called the Duchess, it would appear to me a safe bet that the Duchess is a Time Lord of some sort. I'm I'm wondering that, or I'm also kind of picking up, and this is just me, maybe she's kind of going to be in carrying on the tradition of a river song. Not maybe an, as a love interest for the Doctor, but... A recurring a, presence. A river song, a missy, a, this, this character, somebody who's a female but keeps the Doctor on his toes. Yeah, I, I, again, you see, you, when you see names like this pop up, they're, they're, they're going to be part of the, of the show. It reassures you that not just that they're going next level, but that this brand still has a certain cachet that people like Indira, who are all joking apart, have this huge list of, of roles and she seems to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. I wouldn't say she's the kind of actress who could choose her roles, but can't be that far off. And she would still choose to go into Doctor Who to be associated with Doctor Who, when obviously the last the last run of episodes wasn't that well received. That name still has has a power, and like oh, and I say, I, maybe loyalty to Russell also, T Davies. Uh, that could T, be. I think it's Russell T Davies. And from what I've read and what. I, there's a lot of people who think and ha- who think very very highly of Shooty, and it's it's a lot of people that are his peers and who really think this is a young actor who's going to leave a mark when his career is over. He'll have left yeah. his mark, and so I think there's some of that too. I think there's some energy there that people want to work with Shooty as much as Russell T Davies too. So I think I think they I I truly do believe I think they have some magic some of that magic in the bottle again like they did with a young David Tennant and a young Matt Smith. We can only hope. We got a quote from Russell T Davies as well. He said, "I'm overjoyed to be reunited with Indira after our Torchwood days and this part is truly spectacular." And Russell does he has a habit of saying that as we'll come to in a moment. <laughs> but a whole new audience will be hiding behind the settee when the Duchess unleashes her terror it's never one for underplaying anything is he russell t davis that's true and we have another one now this this really did um come out of left field for me because i've never heard of this guy before but it turns out i have heard him and seen him what do you know of this guy jonathan groff jonathan groff okay so this is one of those things where i he's one of to me he's one of those that guys where you you recognize him but 
I believe he started out on the show Glee, and I, I'm not entirely yeah. sure when that started. Probably around 13, 14 years ago, and it ran for years and years. And the cast fluctuated on that, didn't it? But it, that it would seem that he played the character called Jesse on that, so, and that was his breakout yeah. role. Yeah, he, he's but he's done some stuff here in the states. Um, he did 19 episodes of the original Netflix series um, Mine Hunters. That was the David the, Fincher show, wasn't it? Yeah, for all of the um, kids out there, he's the voice of Kristoff in Frozen. So, you got he was he played Smith in the Matrix Resurrections, um, and his most recent big role he was in the latest M Night Shyamalan film Knock at the Cabin, where he was one yeah. of the four leads in that film. But he, he's another young and up and coming act actor in this case, and I think again this is one of those things to where he's tapping a little bit of the Disney Rolodex, but he's also tapping people who aren't necessarily superstars either and I, I think that's the right way to go here and I'm excited to see what role he's coming in as and what they're going to do with him Obviously, I couldn't have picked this guy out of a crowd I'd never heard of the name I had, I'm, I'm quite a fan of Frozen I think it's a lovely film and he was great in that <laughs> Christoph, wasn't it, the character that he voiced like like all of the all of the voice artists in, in that uh, movie it's really idiosyncratic and a memorable character but uh, generally speaking, the rest of the stuff, those shows, I've, Mindhunter, for example, has been on my list for a really, really long time, not seen any of them. But uh, Jonathan has also got a, a huge Broadway career behind him as well, hasn't he? It says here he's dazzled audiences with his performance as King George III in Hamilton. Now, I've seen, I've only ever seen excerpts from Hamilton. It, to me, it seemed absolutely nauseating. But millions, if not billions, seem to disagree. It's one of the most loved Broadway shows of <laughs> yeah. all time. I mean, so what do I know? Miranda, put Lin-Manuel Miranda on the map. Let's, let's, yeah. let, let's be honest. It, whether it's your cup of tea or not, that's exactly. one thing. But you, you, you cannot deny the phenomenon that is Hamilton. Yeah, it's I. Some musicals I do like. Yeah, it's, it is. It just isn't my cup of tea. But this man, yeah, there does seem to be a lot of excitement surrounding him. And again, I don't think it can be a bad thing that people of this caliber with this amount of versatility are going to be part of Doctor Who. We've got a quote here from Jonathan who said, "I am so thrilled to jump into the extraordinary mind of Russell T. Davis." God, there's some of the stuff they come out with. Do you think this this gets written for them? <laughs> I'm so thrilled to jump into the extraordinary mind of Russell T. Davis and watch the incredible shooting Gatwa saw in this iconic role. Yeah, it is all back to, just like you said, all back to shooty again. They keep talking up shooty. They were on location, believe it or not, filming Doctor Who. This was within a few days of it, of it all being announced. And he's in character as a, a key role. They keep saying key roles about everybody that they cast in this. But he's been given a key role, a mysterious key role, alongside Shooter Gatwa and Millie Gibson. When, when Doctor Who returns to its net for its next full season. Russell T. Davis said, This is an incredible coup and a great honour to get such a huge star striding onto our set. Strap on your space boots. This is going to be a blast. Again, there we have no character here. We don't know who he's playing. You know, They were very open about Indira playing the Duchess, but they're keeping Jonathan's role under wraps. Obviously, Shooty and Millie... There was the Doctor and Ruby. They're in period dress. So we've got a fair idea this was in the Regency period, around that time in history. Do you want to take a stab at who you think Jonathan could be playing, Carl? Uh, 
No, honestly, not real sure at this point because I don't know what to expect. What do you got for me? Well, I'm I'm pretty convinced that he's playing Beethoven. I it could think, very well be, given the period, given the track record of the Russell T Davies era in particular, for looking at historical figures, having fun with them, the Doctor meeting them, interacting with them, running around with them. And uh, need I say, sexing them up a little because, uh, you know, Beethoven, I'm sure he's, he's, he's got a face his mother probably loved. But <laughs> I think they've probably sexed him up in the same way that they did Shakespeare with Dean Lennox Kelly in series three back in 2007. And he just has that. There's enough of Beethoven there, I think, with the, with the wavy hair and the style of dress. I don't know. I I think that it, I think it's a fairly uh, good chance that he's playing Beethoven. There'll be eight episodes in that series of Doctor Who, Kyle, and obviously the past, the present, and the future. That's the blend, isn't it? So there's going to be, I would think, a couple of historicals, and to not feature historical figures, well, that wouldn't be very Russell T. Davis, would it? Yeah, uh, I I agree with you. I think I think I think Shooty, the first season of Shooty's run is going to be very much more time traveling in the past than it will be into the future and it's another style for the uh, 15th doctor he does seem to look at home in practically anything like i said a bit of a clothes horse who has has fun with clothes maybe he plays plays dress up i don't know we've seen the doctor do that we see we saw the fourth doctor very fleetingly do that and uh Billy gibson looking absolutely stunning there mm-hmm. as ruby yes, sunday what a beautiful young woman how exciting it is to have two grand new talents or certainly new to me leading this show i can't wait to see where it's going to where it's going to go kyle and what the future holds in store we're going to cover some more ground here and make some more predictions throughout the rest of the show but before we get into that it falls to me to remind you that if you'd like to do some real time traveling of your own each and every edition of this show past present and future is just a tap or two away on the device of your choice if you know where to look a proper time stream of reviews, pre- previews, interviews, geek outs, and deep dives with all our regular panelists and some pretty awesome guests. In fact, we know there's something for every fan over at type40.podbean.com. More about that a little later on. As always, we'll be making contact with that matrix of all knowledge that we call the Fandom Podcast Network for a word about all the other cult conversations going on across all the other shows over there some big deals some big noise being made by the brand of doctor who coming up now as we go we get deep into more geeky talk with kyle and catch up on what he's heard and what his thoughts are about everything else that's coming with our favorite show There is a piece of casting that we, you didn't bring up in moves. We were talking about casting there that happened that we haven't had a chance to talk about. And I know it's been a controversial piece of casting. Okay. You want to go there, do you? I do have a concern about something that is happening with the upcoming 15th Doctor run. Okay. Well, sure I'll, I'll lead it in because I think it's pretty obvious where you're going. And I'm glad, I'm glad you've asked about this. Over here in Britain, the name Jinx Monsoon meant absolutely nothing uh, the uh, RuPaul's Drag Race show is quite a small show on a minority interest channel. 
uh, the day that mm. Jinx Monsoon was announced as joining the cast of Doctor Who for Series 14, again in a key role, according to the official social medias, the sort of Twitter sphere, the social media sphere, all of that pretty much went into meltdown. The official tweet that they put out from the BBC's own account, that got almost as much engagement as the 60th anniversary trailer had itself. And that video of uh, Jodie Whittaker they put out back in 2017 at Wimbledon, the, the whole gender swap reveal thing. So really, the biggest question I have for you is... Who is Jinx Monsoon? Russell T. Davis is a huge fan of this person. Is she really that big a deal? For me, no. I mean, but the RuPaul show is a phenomenon here in the United States. I'm not even going to lie about it. It's reality television, which is still just huge here in the U.S. Obviously, there's a lot going on in our country right now that this is a very big topic as far as not just just character, but but what this person what people feel that this person represents and I, i've heard the controversies about this dan and there, there there's something i've seen you the chats and some and i know how some of the other panelists are feeling right now and i know that i have read articles at least here in the u.s dan and i don't know if they've been prevalent in in the uk or not but because of the sexuality of several actors that have been cast in is for this new run of who Jinx Monsoon, Jonathan Groff is gay. Yes. Um, there's been a lot of questions about shooting yes. sexuality. Um, obviously, also we have a new Rose who I believe, if I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that is also a transgender per- person as well. I do not know how they choose to identify us. So I'm going to be a little respectful about the, that. But um, yeah, of course, here's here's my here's my feeling on this. We are in a world that has changed so drastically from the last rebirth of doctor who and i think whether you're a fan of it or not this is an aspect of our world today i am going there's and i'll be honest there's there's things about particular lifestyle choices that i don't understand i don't feel i'm correct to speak on because i don't make those those are not my lifestyle choices but i also am a firm believer in that as long as you are not forcing your lifestyle onto other people or you are not Doing something that is inappropriate. Compelling their speech, for example, demanding yeah. their their behavior and, and responses, <laughs> demonizing yeah. them for asking yeah. simple questions. Yeah. I think I, I don't I don't have a problem with what you choose in life. Me neither. But well said. He, here's what here's one of the things that I'm I am a little concerned about, and I think it's coming from many different sides. People are seeing these castings and trying to judge everything about off these castings about the actor sexuality can we see who how they are and how they portray the characters before we make judgments of what they're going to be about i i think i don't whether you whether you approve of what they are what they represent or not that's one thing that's that's personal opinion but give them the chance because we don't know what they're capable some of these actors we don't know what they're capable of Let's see what Russell T. Davies writes for these characters. Let's see if he's going to use the aspects that some of their aspects and try to nail us over the head with a hammer. I don't think he's going to. Now they might not be great characters. Maybe we don't like them, but I'm seeing it from one side where they're concerned that oh, it's going to become too much of an LBGTQ show, and then I've seen articles from the other side where it feels like LBGTQ because of the sexuality of the actors who are being cast. They're trying to claim it as their own thing. 
and it's it's no, it's Doctor Who, and it's for everybody. The the aspects of sexuality, the aspects of race, those are things that have never really been a big part of Doctor Who, and it felt like, I mean, we Captain Jack Harkness is one of the most beloved characters in Doctor Who history. He's omnisexual. <laughs> Come on, when but it, they made they had fun with it. They didn't make it a big deal. So why Jack was a very, very well-conceived character. Yeah, uh, beautifully I, cast by some, with an actor who um, may not be possessed of the greatest range in the world, but with masses of charisma, a real, a real lust for the uh, for the Doctor Who universe, and a, uh, I suppose, a panache. Mm-hmm. Really about him. John Barrowman is incredibly charismatic. He was then. He is now. Uh, just full of personality and enthusiasm for whatever project he's working on. And, and that, again, just like casting the Doctor, we spoke about that earlier on. Jack was is a similar kind of kind of character. It had to be exactly the right kind of personality to to fill that role. I understand that Jinx Monsoon is playing a, a villain. We we know that much. I think what people are concerned about. And a slight distinction. We we spoke uh, earlier on about Indira Varma, and we heard we heard Russell. Yeah, there was hyperbole in his quote about her, and with Jonathan as well. But in those two instances, they've proven you it. do. Yeah, they're very very proven. I think they belong. And, and I know nothing of Jonathan Groff to be fair, but you can see through his track record, through his versatility, they both seem like people who kind of belong in Doctor Who and and. It's fine. It just feels right. In the case of Jinx Monsoon, the whole thing has an aroma about it of not just somebody casting them because they admire them, like Russell clearly admires Indira and had a a great working relationship with her in the past, respectful, mutually respectful relationship, and he's probably followed a career ever since. That's one thing. But this seems bordering on cronyism. And obviously... Jinx Monsoon is a big star. Obviously, you know, I'm not stupid. I can see that through talking to other people. Jinx Monsoon is a big star internationally, a far bigger name than Indira Varma. I'm not sure how compared with Jonathan Graff, you probably would answer that far better than I would. But Russell T. Davies is a personal friend of Jinx Monsoon's husband. Uh, they have this long-standing relationship of three or four years. Russell spoke at their wedding, and it would seem to me that this could be an instant where Russell, as he's maybe got a little bit older, that he might not be as sharp as he was. And this could be an error of judgment in the same way that Chris Chimnall insisting on casting Jodie Whittaker as the Doctor. That was a, a massive miscast, again, based on the fact that he liked her so much personally and he enjoyed working with her and they were friends socially. And I think that's why this, I think that's why this rankles people as well as the whole culture war situation, the interminable culture war that that is dying a natural death but that people keep insisting on kicking back into life and the the uh, gender politics agenda that constantly is being sort of uh, drizzled over all entertainment and in particular the kind of things that the geeks gravitate towards real sort of pop culture sci-fi fantasy franchises so people i i agree with you that some reactions have been uh Reactionary. <laughs> I think some reactions have been somewhat harsh, and 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 people have been quick to anger over this. And initially, I thought very much as you did, and largely speaking, ethically, I still do. But Jinx Monsoon has not helped themselves by uh, 
how can I put this, by making very charged political statements, sweeping statements on social media, not just before, because I, I disagree with trawling through people's social media for oh. stuff they said six years ago, but Jinx has continued to do so since being cast in this role, since being out on the streets, being seen filming Doctor Who, a, a family show. And whilst I know that they are their own brand, Kyle, and they could be only in this show for an episode or two, I I think people, Doctor Who fans, who see that, this person saying those things, behaving very, very oddly in some behind-the-scenes videos, I can I can see both sides to this. And whilst I do have a certain amount of faith in this person, they're obviously very talented. I've heard their podcast. I've heard them sing. Spectacular. But their conduct their, as a person, uh, I can see why people have uh, concerns about it that, that come next Easter, whenever this episode appears and they're part of it, that the very last thing people are talking about could end up being the 45, 50 minutes worth of Doctor Who that are screened. And it'll be all about the latest contentious incendiary thing that Jinx Monsoon has said. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I, I get exactly what you're saying. And when when I first saw this casting, because it came out while I was in my very busy time, but I did see some of the things that you had chatted about with your fellow panelists and mm. companions on Type 40 and just hearing the different reactions. And this came across as me when I looked at it at two sides. There's two sides to this coin. On one hand, the reactionary is, I think, because of the world we live in today, to see this as a stunt casting. And they're stunt, they're only, are they only casting this person because of who they are? Hmm. And not based off the, of, did they earn it? I think, I think Kyle, if I, if I may just uh, interrupt, sorry, mate, with a, with a distinction. I think in this instance... I think you can cast people because of who they are, because of a bankability. I think the Doctor Who fans are concerned that in this instance, Jinx Monsoon has been cast for what they are, for how they identify. For yeah, well, for the, yeah, she she that she is being cast as based off of her sexuality, not by her ability. I think that's the reactionary thing because of how things have been the last few years and how people have there has felt like there have been writing choices and casting choices that have felt forced mm. and like they're trying and it's very precarious so I, I can, I, well and i think it's i think it's unfair i mean but i also think it's a lot this is this is dealing with a product of what well, how our world has been i for me it's i will reserve my judgment until i see this character on my screen and see how this character is portrayed and if i don't like the character i'm going to speak out it's not because i have anything against the actor, it's because I don't like the character, and maybe maybe I can think of somebody else who could play that role better. <laughs> but what I what I'm going to say right now is that I'm encouraging all Doctor Who fans, and I know in a client the climate we're in right now, it's not easy. Don't judge it till you've watched it. That's 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 a big thing. And yes, I'm going I'm gonna I'm gonna speak. I'm a I'm a straight white male, which you know, a lot of people say that means not a I don't have crime. the authority. To, I, I don't have the. You authority can talk to about whatever you like. Yeah. I know, but no, I'm I'm just trying to make a point that some there's a lot of people. Oh, you don't have you you've had your time. You know, I'm going to say this. There is no community that has the right to claim Doctor Who as its own. Doctor Who is for everybody. 
and that's the way it's always Completely been. That's agree. been this. That is the way the doctor has been. No matter, no matter whether the doctor was a straight white male, whether the doctor was female, whether the doctor shows up as gay or bisexual or jack yeah. omnisexual or whatever. That's not what the doctor is about. The doctor is about. The doctor has always been about being advanced, and there's a sense of inclusion. But we don't need to have it be, like I said, going back to what Chris Chibnall did, hammer it over our heads. You just you write the character, let the character be how the character is going to be, and play it out. And may, and if we're lucky, we're going to get something very special because we've got amazing, talented people who can separate their personal beliefs from what their acting and their job is. The belief is that Jinx Monsoon will be playing a villain in an episode mm-hmm. that's going to revolve around music, shooting at what Anne Millie Gibson was seen uh, filming with Jinx Monsoon on the streets of, I think it was Cardiff, that one. They've been all, all over the place filming. I can barely keep track of them. But it was uh, parts of Cardiff that were dressed to look like Liverpool and various locations associated with, with the Beatles. So uh, Penny Lane and, and uh, outside the Apple headquarters, you know, with the uh, with the zebra crossing, all all those things. And and Shooty was there with his afro in in a very sharp, very very fitted sixties suit. It looks enormous fun. And of course, Jinx Monsoon is wearing a costume which is um, decorated with piano keys there. So it would seem that this is going to revolve around music. Personally, Kyle, I'm hoping, hoping against probably all hope, that it's not a musical episode. I, <laughs> I can't think of anything worse. Part of me thinks perhaps they should get it out of their system. But for a time, I thought that about the female Doctor. And where did that lead us? What, what do you think the odds of us getting a musical episode of Doctor Who are? I, I, I think considering the talent that's involved in Doctor Who right now, I, it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me, mm. but you know, you you brought you, you brought up a point and it's kind of been in the back of my head since you brought up the point when we were talking earlier about how Shooty's looks and his costumes keep changing. Yeah, and I keep and I was as we were talking about I was going back to one of the original trailers where you see Shooty say say the line "Who the hell am I?" or what I'm paraphrasing, but what the hell is going? He says, "What the hell yeah, is, what, going, what the hell on is going on here?" Maybe that's kind of the point of the 15th Doctor is because maybe it's a f- the fact that he's revisited an old face in Tenet with the 14th Doctor. Maybe it's the 15th Doctor doesn't quite understand who he is and maybe that's part of the season is the 15th Doctor figuring out who he is. There are so many possibilities. I've got a quote here from Jinx Monsoon. I don't know if you've seen this. There's been several quotes. This is the the, uh, the least uh, inflammatory. I'm honoured, thrilled and utterly excited to join Doctor Who. Russell T. Davies is a visionary and a brilliant writer. I agree with that entirely. I can't wait to get into the weeds with him and the crew. I hope there's room in the TARDIS for my luggage. And a, a growl there, no doubt from Jinx Monsoon. Yeah, uh, yeah they, are, they are personal friends. Russell T. Davies is a visionary and I'm very, very excited about all of this and i'm thinking back I'm, I'm flashing back kyle to how i felt in 2004 watching new doctor who come together i think what well, did anything give me cause for concern then because obviously there was no social media then I, I won't say there were no opinions there were if you knew where to find them but generally speaking they were huddled away in corners on message boards and forums and, and things such as that they weren't sp- talked about in the mainstream press at all and more to the point, you know, you, you had to go and go and make a conscious effort to spend time there 
through a desktop to a PC rather than bang out an, a a uh, a, um, a shocked reply to something that has just been tweeted out from an, from an official account in on your own smartphone in in your own hand whilst you're waiting at the cash point or something like that. The world was slower paced, wasn't it? And I think people had time to think in between announcements and in getting together with other fans to process something and get to perhaps a, if not a happy medium, then a place where they could perhaps consider their concerns and and be um, fair-minded. Well, we, we, were, we were, I think even just, you go back to 2004 when they're built, when they're building this and when who came back. I think as a society, we had more patience in things to let things develop and grow before we assess the final judgment on that. And I think as a society yeah. now, we give something five minutes and if it doesn't meet our fancy, we're on to the next thing. You're probably right. <laughs> and <laughs> There's I a think, lot of truth in that too. And I, th- I think that that's, that's, that's one of the challenges I think any new creative process has is that I think there is so much pressure on these things to, if they don't hit a home run out of the ballpark within the first episode, on the first episode, people are going to jump shit because there's so many different options. Except, and here's where things get real interesting <laughs> right now, there might not be that many options by the time the new season of Doctor Who starts because the writer strike in the U.S. doesn't look like it's going to be ending anytime soon. It looks like it's going to be something that's prolonged rather than it'll be over in two or three weeks after people exactly. have finished stamping I, I, I have talked to some people I know who are within the industry and they've all been told to be ready for the long haul. The last writer's strike was around 2008, wasn't it? Because that was what interrupted shows like Heroes Season 2. It completely oh, took couple, couple, I, I will never forgive the writer's strike for destroying what was an amazing show. It and was, I'm sorry, it? the writer the writer's strike destroyed Heroes first season of heroes is still some of the best tv i've ever seen science fiction i've ever seen do you think that we don't we still don't know for all these casting announcements that we've been speaking about here we only know the uh, the identity of one writer on the new series it's an eight episode series like they can't all be written by russell t davis but they're not letting us know who the who the talent is what those names are but do you think that doctor who could be could be safe because all of those scripts for that series have either or all by one bloke uh, or because they were written long ago or locked in and they're out there already filming them let me put it this way i feel like at least the first this first season of shooties run mm. is something russell t davies has probably had locked away in a box for a good while and then it was fleshing it out i have a feeling we're going to see his name on the writing credits of several episodes in the in, his, in the first season back for a yeah. few reasons. I think we'll see some people who have probably worked with Russell TV Davies in the past that he has some trust in. But I think Russell T. Davies understands how important it is to not have a huge writer's room for Doctor Who right now. I think I think he Just knows three that or he needs four carefully three or chosen f- names working closely with him. With him to maintain a, a feel throughout the episodes of the first season of Doctor Who. And come on, let's let's be honest. That's one of the knocks on the Chimnall run. He had so many different writers that from episode to episode, the show varied greatly in, in, in how in the, in the feel of it. 
I think you're being very, very kind. <laughs> Most of it was an, a pile of stinking, stinking ass. I think it, for, it was a case of could, how could the show possibly continue to get so much worse week on week on week on week? And yeah, the, again, uh, no, we're breaking over our ground a little bit. Yeah, it, it was astonishing how he managed to find uh, non-talent after non-talent after non-talent and do absolutely nothing, it would seem, to, to uh, work with them to at least polish the average turd. The... Can, 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 I, can I just throw in something? I think he had talented people. And I, I've said this before on the show. I, just, I think Chris Chibnall did not allow his talent to do what they did best. I think Chris Chibnall micromanaged the living hell out of his run. Well, he's been quoted as saying that most of the scripts, a, a big chunk of those scripts, the versions that reached the screen, that were put into actors' hands to, to work with on day of filming, most of them were next to first drafts, whereas it's commonplace for, as you know, for scripts on high-end international hit shows that they're only making, by that point, 10 of every 18 months. You would think that giving them a second pass, third pass, or even a fourth pass wouldn't be too much to ask, particularly when you're working, making a concerted effort to work with brand new writers. But Chris Chibnall didn't view that as a priority. And I think Russell T. Davis, no, well, we know that he knows better because he's been speaking about how he is a mentor himself to lots of new writers. It was very encouraging to read that. And although he hasn't spoken publicly about the work of anybody else on the show in the previous era, I think that uh, silence can also sometimes say a lot. He hasn't been silent on the subject of Jinx Monsoon, as you can imagine. We've got one more quote from Russell T. Davis here. He said, in a galaxy of comets and supernovas, <laughs> always, always goes big, doesn't he? In a galaxy of comets and supernovas, here comes the biggest star of them all. Jinx Monsoon is on a collision course with the TARDIS, and Doctor Who will never be the same again. I think that's what a lot of fans are worried about, that, <laughs> that this could set a precedent of employing people who potentially could be, could be a liability, who could be all about what they are and how they, ident they identify, or rather than being in a role that suits them and is the best fit for the show and uh, and for their own own unique talents. Now, I think nobody's saying that Jinx Monsoon isn't good at what they do. Uh, uh, nobody particularly... I don't think anybody wishes, it, wishes her any ill. They just don't want people who are going to be an embarrassment and a liability anywhere near this show because everything is so, is so precarious at the moment. But according to Russell... Supernovas, it's all supernovas and comments and superstars. Uh. I, so I'm taking that quote a little differently. Okay. So I am taking that quote as, and I think I think this is something that, as a Doctor Who fan, Dan, you can appreciate. Every almost every season of Doctor Who, you always have that one character whose personality just is bigger than the room. <laughs> yes, especially right. whether whether it's Captain Jack or maybe in some cases River Song, where they they. When they're on the screen, their personality dominates the screen. And sometimes it works. River Song, Captain Jack, sometimes it doesn't. Um, say, what you, I, say what you will about the Missy character from the Capaldi run. Her, I thought she was great, even though I know a lot of people said she was great. I just wish she wasn't the master. But I do think she's shown in that as well. I Just like I think Shasha Darwin shown in that with that over-the-top personality he had in the master in the Jody run, one of the few bright yeah. spots out of the Jody run, or even John Sim is the master in the tenant run. 
I think he's talking what he's talking about is that bringing in that person and that character who has that big personality in the room. And I think when you're playing off of somebody with the type of energy that I think Shooty is going to bring, that could set up for some very interesting and fun times in Doctor Who. And that's what I'm hoping. That That is just how I'm taking it. And that's probably my own internal hope of what, how, how he's meaning that to come across. What you're, what you're suggesting is that we all perhaps calm down just a little, at least for now. At least for now. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, hold your excitement for a couple of minutes at least because we've got a, a big star to check in with for just the next couple of minutes. And it's our mate, Kev, of course it is. He's ready, loaded up with lots of other supernovas and superstars, all with key roles in, ma- in making the Fandom Podcast Network a glorious place to spend some time. That's where you'll find a galaxy full of other fantastic podcasts around all sorts of other of your favourite geek properties and franchises. Here's Kev with his <laughs> download of all of that. Kyle and I will be back in a couple of minutes with more talk, more of our big catch-up on all things Doctor Who. Thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. Here are the other great shows on the Fandom Podcast Network. Culture Clash, where we discuss the latest in entertainment and pop culture. Blood of Kings, our show covering the entire Highlander universe. Couch Potato Theater, we celebrate our favorite movies. And Time Warp, our fandom flashback show discussing a year in movies and our favorite retro movie, TV, and pop culture topics. Good evening, discussing all things Alfred Hitchcock. Hair Metal Podcast, we cover the rock metal music of the 80s and early 90s. Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast, discussing the time-traveling Doctor Who universe. Lethal Mullet, an action film podcast, covering the 80s, 90s, and beyond. Also, check out the Lethal Mullet Network for more great podcasts. What a Piece of Junk, our Star Wars podcast. Making Treks, a Star Trek podcast, with a deep dive into the final frontier. The Fandom Show, our Fandom Podcast Network live YouTube show discussing the hottest topics in fandom. The True Believers MCU podcast, discussing the Marvel Cinematic and Television Universe. Union Federation, our Star Trek and the Orville show. And we're proud to welcome the BQN Network to the Fandom Podcast Network. Please visit our friends on the BQN Network, a Star Trek Universe podcast that also includes your favorite topics, movies, history, superheroes, and more. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on YouTube. The Fandom Podcast Network is also on all major podcast platforms. Fandom Podcast Network audio master feed is on Podbean at fpnet.podbean.com. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, respect others and enjoy your fandom. Yes, we've teased and tantalised you, and we can even clothe you too. There's merch to match all of those shows, including Type 40. If you head over to tpublic.com, search for the Fandom Podcast Network, and that's where you'll find a store full of all the team colours for all of the podcasts on everything from T-shirts to phone cases and tapestries and all manner of other amazing items. Treat yourself, treat your other selves. It all goes to support the Fandom Podcast Network into the bargain too. So everybody wins i'm back here with kyle wagner and we've got two lead actors at the moment where do we start well we've we've gone into shooty gatwa lots of the new castings and lots of the controversy uh, but we stopped it at a david tennant didn't we at uh, the 14th doctor 
as he as he is now. Have you got used to that yet, Kyle? It's David Tennant. You just, you just roll with that, and we go. We're good to go. David Tennant could be every doctor, and I don't think people would complain. You're probably right. Happy um, to see him back. Oh, ecstatic! Um, I think I think we were at a point where he was. You can maybe have done Matt Smith, but I think he really was the only person to transition and yeah. get people feeling good about Doctor Who again. I think they did. The, I think it is the smartest decision they have made in this process is bringing back one of the most beloved faces in Doctor Who history. Even if it's only just a few special run as a doctor to bring in David Tennant to restore some balance to the, the Hoovers, <laughs> yeah. to the Hoovers, as they'll say. And just to, I think, give everybody that warm blanket feeling of I'm in my safe place with Doctor Who, David Tennant is back. The last thing you want to be worrying about at any time really watching this show, Carl, but particularly in something as monumental as a anniversary year, the last thing you want to be worrying about and wondering is, is the guy at the front of it all leading the parade, are they capable of filling that role? And we know categorically that David Tennant is. Some people like him more than others. And, and his reappointment as the Doctor, as the current Doctor, hasn't pleased everybody. But... I can't think of anybody better to, to lead it at the moment. At the age that he is now, this is a man who is never not working. And yet his association with this show, it hasn't dogged him the way that it perhaps has other people who'd played it in the past. He's always been uh, just as enthusiastic in be about being associated with the character since he's played it as, as he was in talking about it before and supporting Doctor Who and, and, and being a, very much a fan. I think he's an extraordinary uh, talent. I think he's very, very versatile. And he does seem to be an actor, Carl. You would think that after 17 years since he took the lead in Doctor Who, that perhaps if his star hadn't have sort of fallen a little, but certainly that you wouldn't see him in quite so many roles. But the reverse seems to be the case, doesn't it? Well, because he, when he's selective about his roles... You don't see David Tennant taking these superstar roles either. You, you really don't. Don't. I think maybe his. If I'm looking at the stuff he's done since Doctor Who, the to me the biggest franchise choice he did is when he played Kilgrave in Marvel's Jessica Jones. But for the most part, he keeps. He takes good roles that fit his style. And while they may not be worldwide roles, they're no roles he gets acclaimed for. And people respect him and people love him. And I, I find it I find it so interesting that really the two people who put who are the youngest people two, two youngest people ever to selected to be the doctor until Shooty have also had the best being at peace with being done with the doctor afterwards, but still embrace where what it did for them and where they came from. And that's David Tennant and Matt Smith. We know Capaldi didn't necessarily leave on the terms he wanted thanks to the BBC. We know, of course, the crazy history with Eccleson. And we know the history of past doctors. I, you know, I think, I think Tennant and Matt Smith are probably the two doctors who left in the best, left being better for being Doctor Who and being in a, in a good place mentally and career-wise than they were before they started Doctor Who. If there's no baggage, yeah. no 
unfortunate associations no trauma from being part of a series why why wouldn't you want to go back with it it's not really a risk is it and i've been thinking about david Tennant a lot lately because i've, I've just seen inside man it's it's got good omens too coming up very very soon um, i can't wait for that because those two together several, are magic several big shows again one after the other after the other i was thinking what is it about about david Tennant? i think he's a very very clever actor i think he's a great actor but i don't think he's an actor who could play absolutely anything and i think he knows that and his representation, his agent, also knows that. And so he makes very, very wise choices. As you said, Kilgrave. They could have cast David Tennant as Reed Richards or something, something huge leading some big team or headline. But even if they had, he probably wouldn't have taken it. I think he'd rather, rather play roles like Kilgrave in Jessica Jones, the, the purple man, not only because he could probably have more fun with them, but because they are more in his wheelhouse where there's riffs on things he's either done before on TV or things that he's very confident, parts, characters that he's very confident that he know he can reach. Yeah, I think I think he's very good at judging what the best roles are for him. But I also look at his career and the role he's taken, even though he may not show the greatest of ranges, as you said, he's taken enough roles where he's variationing himself enough from what he was in Broadchurch compared to what he was in Good Omens compared mm -hmm. to what he was in Jessica Jones to some of these other shows. He, 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 he knows he's an actor who knows who he is within himself. And that allows him to pick and choose the roles that he knows fit him and not him trying to take roles that might be beyond what his capabilities are. Plus he's just genuinely respected and genuinely loved. I mean, I know there are people who are not necessarily, Everybody has their favorite doctor, but I think most of the people I've talked to, yeah. even they say, I don't, I'm not necessarily thrilled with the idea of Tenet coming back, but you know what? They've all said the same thing. It's probably the best thing for the show right now. He's so, I mean, I don't know if this ever, if this transmits of Antic, but certainly in terms of Great Britain, for the majority of people, for the largest percentage of the population, David Tennant is the doctor. And David Tennant himself is, if if not a national treasure, he's somebody that that people enjoy seeing turn up in various in various things. He does a lot of performances as himself, fronting uh, charity telephones and things like that. Which you know, that, again, that's not really my cup of tea. I couldn't really spend an entire evening watching one of those things. But there there he is, being associated with them. Always seems like he's having fun. Always good with the public, great with the fans. And generally speaking, I think, being quite a good role model represents family values too, obviously a family man with several children. And and so I think that's why the public respond to him so well, because because you can you can relate to him and you can you can think you can look up to him, somebody who is really, really good at what they do. That's still okay in twenty twenty three that we uh, we reward uh endeavor and success we we admire success we look to emulate it i was speaking to somebody we had a guest on type 40 live not that long ago uh, a podcaster who's also an aspiring actor and uh, he was saying oh, david tennant's been my inspiration for most of my life i thought god yeah, he's like 27 years old something like that but wow you know and, he, and he's recently had a chance to say just that to david tennant so i can't wait to when i catch up with him 
see what he's got to say about that experience. But I think all of that, being on television for the best part of 20 years, it's all it's all wrapped up. One thing inside another, isn't it? And I don't know if you would call David Tennant a, um, a star in the way that they used to be stars, because we know a lot about his life in the way that we didn't about people then. But I, I think he does have an aura. I, I think I think it's fair to call David Tennant a star. I think it's also fair now to call Matt Smith a star. I think because the nature of stardom has changed too, isn't it? Yeah, and I think I think you know, at least here in the U.S., it's I would say it's probably a f- even fifty-fifty split that it's either David Tennant or Matt Smith is the is the doctor. Yeah, I think Tom Baker in the U.S. is probably the most notable doctor outside of Tennant and Smith. But you know, you look at um, Matt Smith's kind of resurgence here in the U.S. with thanks to the new. Um, Game of Thrones, House of Dragons show, but how his character is so different than what people <laughs> were used to him from from seeing him in in the Doctor, and that shows you Matt. Yeah, he's how he's much fantastic, Matt's man. And he is. He is absolutely fantastic in that. It shows you how much he's grown. And I think I, I feel that way about Shooty too. I feel like Shooty is going to be one of those kind of actors who, when he leaves, who it's probably going to be on a good good term, and he's going to go on to bigger and better things. There's a certain amount of frustration out there at the moment, Carl, from some portions of the fandom. With the 60th anniversary, we're now nearly halfway through the entire anniversary year, and people are a little frustrated that we haven't seen and heard a little more somehow. I mean, you've had castings and things like We're hearing quite a lot about Series 14, but very, very little about what's to come in less than six months' time now. Obviously, we want as many surprises as possible, don't we, come November? But on the other hand as regards a celebration of an entire year and a whole legacy, there doesn't seem to be a great deal. And the first trailer that we had for the anniversary specials that are coming in November, we got that on Christmas Day, an entire minute's worth of, of content. And then there's been nothing for several months until very, very recently we got another trailer, but it did come at a cost. What does the word Eurovision mean to you, Kyle, as an American man? Believe it or not, they're, they're, I mean, I, I'm, I'm more familiar with Eurovision thanks to Will Ferrell now than I was a few years ago. But <laughs> that was a fun film. Oh yeah, I forgot yeah, about I that. think that was a film that I think really got Eurovision as something that was is a little bit more known now in the U.S. <laughs> culture. I know it is a very big deal over there, and it's a it's a big event. Yeah. I know that they put out the new trailer for Doctor Who during Eurovision. I see. I've seen it. I've seen the little snippets that they did leading up to it, and it, I, I it didn't reveal much, but I'm fine with that. Yeah. We, I call them tingle teasers, and they were dropping them into the schedules for two weeks. Did we not get the name? Am I remembering right? Did we we, get names? we did. We did. I mean, we didn't get a great deal in the Eurovision. What we're calling the Eurovision teaser because it wasn't really a really a trailer. There was still no narrative component to it. It was still a smattering of images. But we did get a bit of admin. The first special we get the title is the Star Beast. That's the clue, really, for some some older fans will will know all about that. Lots of this teaser, though, are frustratingly being redacted, particularly about the middle chunk. So the the second special, Wild Blue Yonder, they won't show us anything. They won't let us hear any dialogue from that, which could point to that one being the one that features the most surprises, Kyle. That's what I'm thinking. And uh, it has to be the Celestial Toymaker that Neil Patrick Harris is playing. Yeah. Hopefully hopefully a memorable villain. I'm, I'm a big fan of Neil Patrick Harris. I think he's a great talent. So you notice the special effects there on, on, the, uh, on the creature. I think there's some Disney help going on there. I believe that's a mixture of, of prosthetics, of uh, 
real special effects creature yeah. shop augmented by by cgi and that character beat the meep as well as the the villains you saw there the the guards that were that were marching their way down that uh, street those are the wraith warriors they're from a doctor who comic strip from 1980 originally illustrated by dave gibbons so uh, this is an adaptation of that comic strip it would seem called the star beast so we're going to get a fairly accurate adaptation of a much-loved comic from all those decades ago. Yeah, the amazing Dave Gibbons. Let's get that right. I am aware that there was a run of Doctor Who comics. I think, I think Marvel reprinted some of them in the 80s here in the US. Yeah, they did. Yeah, I got the reprint title. I bought the originals and the reprints. Well, <laughs> I think I've bought those comics about five times. There's a, a lot of nice imagery. I think the production has stepped up several oh. steps. I think you can tell that there's more, not just more money in this, but uh, more more TLC, I think, is what yeah. I'm saying. Grading and things like that. And I, I like the fact that in this trailer we do see Catherine Tate as Donna Noble. We see it just it, it looks it has a feel of improvement on it. It's a few feel of it is a special, so they've got they've had more money to put into it. I actually kind of am very interested in the redacted things because I think that's a great way to tease people to say, okay, what are they not telling us? And I think it has yeah. a lot to do with Donna Noble and what's going on. But I think they're addressing the one story that was left over from the tenant run that people always felt like there was more story to tell and that was donna's story people weren't exactly thrilled with how donna was left at the end of the tenant run you think i i, I mean i know it's affected people on on a, a deep emotional level and it was tragic and if yeah. donna was your favorite character how could they do that to her but i think with the passage of time a lot of people did seem to feel that although it wasn't the end we wanted for her, that it was clean and that it had a lot of resonance because they'd left it there. A lot of people that I speak to are a little nervous about well, Russell I, I think, kind I, of I, opening it all up again. I'm yeah, not one of them, Kyle. Yeah, I don't agree. I, I think, well, but I think I, I, I can understand and respect that. I just think that this is, of all, if they're going to bring back somebody to tie in from the 10th Doctor to the 14th Doctor, Donna Noble makes the most sense. I think bringing mm. back a Martha Jones isn't really ideal. Like, um... You could bring back Captain Jack. I think a lot of people would love to see T Tenet and Barrowman back, but obviously, you know, it's it's, it's hard to... The Barrowman situation is a whole act of stupidity mess that's yeah. been going on, and unfortunately, I think it affected what could have been. Um, so I think Catherine Tate makes the most sense, and there's a story to tell there. Whether people feel wrapped up clean or not, there's still a little bit of a story to tell there. And, so I'm excited for these three specials. I can't wait to get official dates on these. Yeah. We don't really have official dates on these, but I'm, I'm... We don't have we don't have any dates. We know the episodes are going to last an hour each. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited about it, obviously, too. And I know you've been wanting to get into this aspect of it, too, Dan, is that for the first time ever in the U.S., there's only one place to go to watch Doctor Who. Yeah. This it has an international streaming home, I suppose yeah. is what you what you call it. For the first time, again, a decision that hasn't gone down universally well. Uh, particularly if you speak to uh, people in Australia and New Zealand, it's uh, the home of Australia of uh, Doctor Who in Australia has always been on ABC uh, since uh, ooh, since the late sixties, and they are smarting a little from from the pain of having to potentially uh, take out a, a subscription to Disney Plus because they didn't have it before. But, uh, yeah, generally speaking, 
I say most of the, the rest of the world are probably going to find it a relief that they know where to find this show, Kyle. So here, here's the thing. I, and I, I know we've talked about this off mic, but I mean, BBC America is basically a walk shit show right now. Yeah, you've, you've told me. Um, I don't think it'll be existing in it within a couple more years, especially with Doctor Who. Such new a ep- shame. New episodes of Doctor Who existing on Disney Plus now. However, whether you like Disney or you don't like Disney, Doctor Who being on such a f- widespread worldwide platform is the best thing, one of the best things that could happen to Doctor Who. If you really want to see Doctor Who succeed. Because let's be honest, Doctor when Doctor Who was at its biggest, it was not only succeeding in the UK, it was huge here in the US with David Tennant and Matt Matt Smith and Karen Gillan and Billy Piper and just all of those. It needs to get back to that place again. Because the world has changed and the world is so connected now and and with streaming the way it is now now this is the biggest platform you can Disney Plus is almost the biggest platform internationally you can get on and to have that Disney name behind you whether you agree with some of the things that Disney's doing right now or not that's just it's a boon and i think for Doctor Who there is nobody better to market Doctor Who internationally and even though we have not seen a lot of marketing of Doctor Who as of yet, it is coming. But I think Disney is also very strategic in how they market their things. And one thing Disney does not like to do is have their big products overlap each other. And if you look at the way Disney has moved some things around and changed productions, and obviously the writer strike has a piece of that, but Disney has never had on Disney Plus, a Marvel and Star Wars live action show overlap each other. Maybe the final episode of a Marvel show airs no, the same same time as a Star Wars show begins or vice versa. But there's always been nothing overlapping. You believe that Doctor Who could fold very nicely into that? We'll, we'll know uh, in how, there, how it's scheduled. There's several openings for Doctor Who to fill in towards the end of the year and in, into next year. Once we get past Ahsoka, Star Wars Ahsoka premiering on Disney Plus and it having its run, the Doctor Who buzz on Disney Plus is really going to start getting very loud. Right now, Star Wars Ahsoka is scheduled to premiere on August 31st. You have Loki Season 2 coming in October, and then they're dropping all of the um, show Echo all at once for the first time ever on a show on Whoa. Disney Plus yeah. in November. There's openings there in December because for for a lot of hype and i think you're going to start seeing it being placed there because disney's got disney's disney's very strategic in how they place their shows so there's not one taking away from the other a lot of fans are worried that they'll treat it just as just as content and that there won't be any emotional sort of investment from I, them in it because it goes cold hard business business people but i suppose we won't really know how much they they value this duel until, they wouldn't until have, the time comes i truly believe that they wouldn't have made the deal if they didn't value it disney does disney doesn't just buy things to have content there's reasons disney always has a reason and in this case come on the doctor who is something that i think when we've talked about this and I think there's been for years a push to 
somebody, not the BBC, to have a bigger stake in the, the future of Doctor Who. And I think, I think this distribution deal on Disney Plus is just going to be a huge boon. And I'll be honest with you, I could easily see within a five to ten year window where Disney Plus owns Doctor Who, or Disney owns Doctor Who. See. I'm quite comfortable with a lot of what you've just said until you said that last bit. So I'm like, whoa, no, no, no. Uh, I don't know. I I think that it's going to be with Bad Wolf Studios for quite a long time. Oh, yeah. I think, I think it'll be Bad Wolf. But what, I, what I'm thinking is, is that Disney at some point will probably be the controlling factor of Doctor, of Doctor Who because I just, I see how, I see what's mm. happening in the marketplace. I see what's happening, the problem. From what I can tell, Dan, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, the BBC is not in a real great place these days. No, they're not. They're not at all. And there's still making errors of judgment on a weekly basis. I mean, there is a... I won't kid myself in thinking there isn't a crossover of interest between Doctor Who and the Eurovision Song Contest. There undoubtedly there undoubtedly is uh, people who, who have a camp sensibility. Latch on to Doctor Who. I know several of them. You know, I speak to a lot of them. A lot of them are really good mates of mine, and they they love Doctor Who for that for that side to it. And it's the same with the Eurovision Song Contest. And I think that's why they tagged that trailer at the start of the of the song contest, something that is viewed by tens of millions of people, probably hundreds of millions of people, not just throughout Europe now, but all over the world. Uh, I I think though, I would rather the show be associated with Disney Plus, I think that for all that we, you know, we know, I mean, particularly at the moment, it seems to be failure after failure for Disney. This is bombing, that's bombing, this is closing down, and they don't have a lot of bad press. Well, okay, so, so, okay, let me, let me clarify some things here. The difference of a bomb for Disney compared to what a bomb actually is, is a whole different classification. Guardians of the Galaxy. Context, context yeah. is everything. Guardians of the Galaxy is not a bomb. Guardians of the Galaxy oh, is God, on no. pace to make big money. Um, looks like but they've had several, they have had several tentpole films just this calendar year, which have, for all intents, I mean, they've certainly, I think, underperformed is being polite. If bomb well, is being too harsh, then underperformed is probably being too polite. I, I, I think the problem is this, at least here in the States, too, is that we have not adjusted to going back to the theaters completely yet after COVID and after the pandemic and in the lockdowns. And I think there are still a lot. I think the problem is you have a lot of people who during that time frame have gone into more of a streaming mentality. They seem to go back to cinemas when it matters, when it matters enough. But we were at a point before the pandemic where if it was a new movie, you were going to the cinemas to watch it. Now people are being yeah. more selective and it's a reflection of, I think still adjusting from covid the economy right now going to the theater is not a cheap experience in the united states it isn't here either i think that's a reflection of it and i think too disney's been in a state of flux bob Iger is back in charge bob chapek is out they're trying to assort assort some things um the parks are doing great business whether you agree with what things are happening at the parks that's another thing but the parks are doing really good business since the since they've opened up more since the pandemic um, they have just closed the Star Wars uh, part. Well, yeah, but that That's was. Good. I think. I think if you were to ask a lot of people how they managed that, was not a, 
that was not well managed in the first place. And you're talking about an experience that cost people five thousand dollars for two nights. <laughs> five grand. Yeah. So there's that. I th- okay. I'm going to let people in on a little secret about everybody who's making this big deal about how many people, how many subscribers Disney Plus lost in the last quarter because it's a huge number. I think it's like close to oh, a million. But there's a reason for that, and it's a, it's a crazy reason, but there is a reason for that. Disney Plus in India was the exclusive had an exclusive contract to air cricket. And if you don't understand, right. yeah, huge cr- in India. Cricket yeah. in India is like foot soccer, football yeah, around the world. Here. When Disney lost that license and it went somewhere else, they lost all those people in India that subscribed strictly for the cricket. And that's why Disney Plus took this huge dive in numbers. I didn't. I admit I didn't know that. So I know, I know cricket's huge. You know, I've got family who who do who yeah. are really really into it. And so, yes. So well, there's a little bit of a misnomer with that situation with Disney Plus. Now, I think I think it looks like Little Mermaid's going to be a huge hit. It looks like that's going to make a ton of money for Disney. So. I think I think there's a, a moving around of it. I think it's just getting back into Disney Quiet, and I think it's across the board here in the United States at least. The distribution companies quite haven't quite found their footing yet, and they're still trying to figure figure some things out. And you know, the writer strike isn't helping because now it's like we're, what we're seeing is, especially on the television side, a lot of programs now are getting moved to later in the year. So they have content for later in the year. So um, I I, I think, but um, when you talk about Disney, people are very hyped for Ahsoka. Um, People are very, very hyped for Secret Invasion, the Samuel Jackson Marvel miniseries. That was a great trailer. You mentioned earlier on they were going to drop all of Echo all in one, and and that looks like a character that's just, it's never got over. Are they... they testing out something dropping it all in one day there or are they just dropping it hoping people won't notice and, i think it's uh, a com- i think it's a combo of one one is is it probably i think that i have now that Iger's back they're taking a little different approach because i do believe that when bob chapek was in charge he was just content 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 get it out i don't care about the quality just get it out i want content out there for disney plus and things like that and i think Iger and kevin feige and even and um the people over at Lucasfilm are like, no, we want. They're taking a reassessment, making sure they're putting out content, but it's quality content. Let's, so let's hope. I mean, I'm never sure which Bob is which and who which of them does what. Trust, tr- tr- trust me, <laughs> you would much rather have Bob Iger than Bob Chapek. Bob Chapek. Uh, just, yeah, I think with Bob Iger. You will see Doctor Who be, when the time comes for it. They will mark. You will see a heavy marketing. I think right now there's other stuff that they're putting their focus on. I do not expect to see a big Doctor Who presence at Comic Con. There is a Disney presence where you're going to see a huge Doctor Who presence. And in fact, I'm willing to bet that we see Shooty at this, and that is D23. So Disney Plus will be the exclusive home for new seasons of Doctor Who outside of the UK and Ireland. Uh, it'll premiere exclusively on the BBC within UK and Ireland, as it always has. Doctor Who returns in November 2023 with three special episodes starring David Tennant as the 14th Doctor, 
all to coincide with the 60th anniversary. The whens and the, the precise pattern of that, I suppose that'll be defined hopefully sooner rather than later. Shooty Gatwa's first episode as the 15th Doctor. That's going to air over the festive period. Christmas. Come on, BBC. Over Christmas. Don't let us down. Don't come at me with all that nonsense. So that's what we've got to look forward to in the not-too-distant future. You're right, Carl. That was that was my final thought, really, because I know that you have... You're not just a pop culture pundit who talks about movies and TV shows and huge global events like Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con International. You talk about it every year and you go through all the panels and all the revelations there from all the major studios. Uh, but you're also somebody who's been to San Diego Comic-Con, haven't you? you? You know all about this. You have done the dance. Uh, this year's Comic-Con is on the uh, the 19th of July 2023. That's a Wednesday, so it'll run all the way until the following Sunday. So that's a f- how many days? One, two, three, four, five, five days of pop culture indulgence, of announcements, of panels, and hopefully excitement and the, the curtain coming down on some projects that will delight us in the uh, in the years to come. Doctor Who hasn't been a major presence there for some time, it has to be said. And this year is an integral year for the the brand. Should Doctor Who be at Comic Con twenty twenty three? I think they should be. Now, whether they will be or not, that's a different conversation. Because would they choose to not be there, or are they simply not big enough? Space is at a premium. There might not be room for them. Uh, well, it's, it's a combination of things. Um, conventions here are still kind of getting back on their feet. Um, one of the biggest conventions in the a video game industry e3 was canceled this this year because they just they, they'll be they say it'll be back next year but it, it that used to be one of the biggest conventions and shows and it just it got sunk by covid and san diego comic-con we had it last we had it last year um and we had some announcements there but i'm just there hasn't been a lot of hype this year for comic-con in general and i i wonder too if it's because especially with the writer strike going on now that that if that's going to affect some things as well because there's a lot of support for the writers in the writer strike mm-hmm. and so i be i will be uh, there could be a lot of actors and stuff who go to and you if you look at really what's coming down the pipe there's not a whole lot of big fandom stuff to hype right now there's you have the Marvels, which got was supposed to come out in July, which is now coming out in November. Um, you have the next Avatar film, but that's another year away. You've got the remaining DC films in Blue Beetle and Aquaman, which people are kind of like looking at more like they're in a lame duck status right now. Um, we're in a very we're in a very big what feels like a very big transition. See, so usually I'd say that actually sounds like very good news for Doctor Who. Uh, if, if if all of these things oh. are, are not in such an advantageous position, this material, this Doctor Who material, has, well, at least the stuff we're going to get first, it's already been filmed, it's all in the can, it's all done and, and dusted, and the, the campaign, the publicity bandwagon is ready to roll. The wheels must be being oiled as we speak. But you still but then- think that... But I still here's the other aspect of it. You've got to take the Disney aspect into it, and Disney has their own big convention, D23, which is their big hype thing for 
what they're doing with the parks, what movies are coming out, what TV shows are coming out. That's when, bit... when is that usually held? Uh, I believe it's right now they're aiming it for a little later in this year. Um, sometimes they skip a year on it, but I believe there is, they, they do have one this year. Shooty was at D23 last year. Was he really? Yeah, he was. He made an appearance at D23 last year. In what capacity was he just one of several sort of big oh, celebs? That, was when, that was when they had made the announcement of Doctor Who on Disney+. Plus. Oh, was it? Now, I did see... I did see a corporate do that he was at yeah. somewhere where he was uh, shaking hand, hands, yeah. meeting and greeting. He's already, he, and they he's just revealed the new. Of, they just revealed the new old logo. They yeah. they unveiled the branding at that yeah. event. I, but I didn't know that Shooty was actually at D twenty three. I didn't know those two things. Well, had, but you have to understand, D twenty three is not like a traditional convention. It's more of a more corporate type event, corporate type event. But people, Disney allows certain members of things to, to go there and enjoy it as well but it's more of a media corporate kind of mm. thing but that's usually where disney hole saves their bit their big stuff now is for d23 when it's when, so i think you should see it at san diego comic-con i hope we see it at san diego comic-con because i think there's a window there for it to really get some foothold and foothold going at san diego comic-con to get the ball like you said to get the ball rolling Fandom will be so disappointed if there's not something there at the end of July. It's uh, it's um, the trailer, the Eurovision teaser thing. People were. It, it's nice to know the episode titles, but generally speaking, people up squib. Yeah, I think my guess though is you will get the big announcements of dates at D23. So it could potentially be another couple of months, but if that's quite close to the anniversary itself. Yeah, I'm still, personally, I'm still going for San Diego Comic Con. I think I, yeah. All I'm going to say is don't get, your hope, don't get your hopes too high. No, don't say that. Of course, Russell T. Davies has been speaking about it in a recent issue of the official Doctor Who magazine. He's kind of briefly skirted around it. And the entire promotional process, he said the plan is to keep a constant bristle of, what, what's a bristle? not entirely sure a constant bristle of information but without giving the audience too much i think I think, that, the... I think i think it's basically leaving breadcrumbs we're gonna yeah. leave, you're gonna give <laughs> us a probably. trail of breadcrumbs to follow until the release of the first special he says we don't want them thinking that we vanished in some respects it does look like that i mean we've had we're... like i say we've had jonathan gruff we've had india of armor we've had jinx monster we've had all these things there's been something most weeks like that well, and... and that's very much for what's coming months after the fact if doctor who is going to not just talk the talk but walk the walk comic con's the biggest uh, geek culture date in the calendar this is the stage to step up to it's dropped off in the last few years it's not quite what it used to be for the for the geek for the geek fans because a lot of people feel comic con has become too corporate in its own right obviously Doctor Who itself has also suffered a uh, drastic downturn in fortunes. The last time it was at Comic Con, uh, there was yeah, we I won't pull no uh, punches about this. And I won't uh, I won't try and gloss over it. Jodie Whittaker did make a big impact, didn't she, at the twenty eighteen oh, Comic Con? That truthfully, I believe her appearance at Comic Con in twenty nineteen is what had people so hyped about the change, and that was so people excited because. She was great at Comic-Con. She was very personal at Comic-Con. She was great with the fans at Comic-Con. 
Hmm. And she je- she generally created a at least here in the U.S. she created a lot of buzz about her being the doctor. But unfortunately, the product didn't match the buzz. See that buzz only partly makes its way to the U.K. Uh, because it's it's so far away, and because in Britain, uh, in the mainstream, that kind of stuff does not get reported. Whereas I think it probably does. We have no Entertainment Weekly, for example. Yeah. We we don't really have that eye on events like that it's still seen as a real real nichey nerdy little thing uh and i i think i think that's but i think that's one of the things that's it's so interesting right now and i think it's why doctor who at least in the in the uk from what you've told me and what i follow from you guys they're doing a brilliant job of keeping it in the news i wouldn't say a brilliant job i think they were for, for several, I think when the Fourteenth Doctor was uh, made his on-screen debut at the end of October, from that moment on, for a few weeks, there was there was a real buzz, real momentum, and people were talking about the show again. It has died off a, a touch. Yeah, but, 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 but here's here's the but here's the difference, Dan. If we go back to even conversations we had as the, the final season, Jody's final season was winding down, you thought you were going to have free time. To work on some other projects, do some <laughs> other things, true. and you've been pretty much buried, buried, buried in the Doctor Who news since Jody left. Yeah, yeah. It's been pretty. There's been something to talk about. To where I always felt, I guess, between seasons of Jody's run, there was nothing to even talk about. It's not. It's not just that. Yeah, that there's been nothing, been something to talk about. It's been that there's been uh, dialogue around it has been encouraged. Yeah, and it hasn't been uh, it hasn't been a chore to try and to try and find any, anything out. Uh, there's that open dialogue between the fan base and the people making the show again. I, I think it's just that this should ideally be kind of paralleled. An anniversary year should should bring us a little more. I think the fiftieth brought us more. I think that, as we're standing at the moment, the fortieth brought brought us more. It wasn't even on then. <laughs> you know, the show was off, and, and the thirtieth certainly did. It wasn't on then either. I, I I just I think what you're seeing what you're going to see is when we get into the second half of this year, the marketing machine will kick it into high gear. Yeah, it, ha- it has Disney, to. The, the Disney marketing will start kicking in more as well because it's still it's still not being talked a lot about here in the U.S. People kind of know. I did wonder. Had but that trailer that we looked at earlier on, the Eurovision teaser thing, had a version of that been yeah. widely seen in America, or is it just on social media channels? If you're already following, yeah. if you're already following those channels and signaled your interest in Doctor Who, then you're going to see it. But if you're somebody yeah. who hasn't and has forgotten about, it, that's that show where they they got rid of Matt Smith and they put some woman in it. Yeah. They haven't thought people who haven't thought about it in friggin' years. <laughs> is it reaching them to say? Look, it's it's back. You're probably going to like this again. It, it... No, let, I'm let, let me put no. it. Let me put it this way: when the Disney marketing machine starts in full gear for Doctor Who, and it will, you're going to know it because Doctor Who will be everywhere. That's quite promising. I know some people will be frightened about that with the whole Disney thing, but I think generally speaking, I just have to have to have something. And and yeah, as as um, show stopping as Whitaker was at Comic Con 2018, certainly by all accounts that I've ever heard, people who were actually there, we've had them on the show. Uh, that would have been that was pretty much the end of it. 
a Doctor who has not been back there since, and it's, we're a far cry from the times where the, the entire cast and production crew would be at Comic-Con with a panel and would get a, a rapturous response and would well. go back to New York, Comic-Con, and all the other places every single time a major presence, and it seemed that they belonged there too. And now these seem like halcyon days. I do hope you're right, Carl, and that we can get back there somehow, okay. even if... And let's let's be honest here. Even if it's D twenty three. Capaldi, as beloved as he is as an actor, he's not a huge deal in the US. I mean people know him and they they like him. Karen Gillen, Matt Smith, David Tennant, and to a lesser degree Arthur Darville and John Barrowman are part of at least the fandom culture on a regular basis in the United States. Matt Smith, obviously, with Game of Thrones. David Tennant with all the stuff he's done. Arthur Darville's done a lot of U.S. television. Um, he was recently in the Sandman series that was on Netflix. Um, and, of course, Karen Gillan in the U.S. is a superstar. I do uh, I do wonder, yeah, obviously, very much in, in the Disney camp as well. Maybe they'll have a word, get it back for the 60th, too. I do wonder if Doctor Who does materialise at Comic-Con, could David Tennant be there? Could Shooty Gatwa be there? Could they both be there? But I'm also Matt thinking... Smith, there's as, a very good chance Matt Smith could be there promoting be there season anyway. two of House of Dragon. Yeah. As big as uh, I think that Doctor Who should be, and as crucial as an anniversary always is to people, <laughs> to people like us, people are sort of obsessed with these things and circling these dates. Given what you just said about Disney, Disney+, Plus, their investment and their ambition for the show, do you think they're going to be swayed by the fact that it is an anniversary year or is that going to be largely irrelevant to them? Because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter that this is an anniversary year in a business sense. What matters is that this is a colossal salvage job on a, a much uh, a, a, a damaged, a fallen franchise. The real business, the pressing concern is making a big splash and, and make, getting people's attention about now, not then, not the legacy of Sig, but now and what you're going to be seeing soon. Could they not be uh, swayed by, for example, legacy? That's a, that's a fair question, and I think there's two ways to look at this. I do think Disney will play up some on the 60th anniversary because it is a big deal. It's 60 years of Doctor Who. Because the BBC will hear, but that's totally yeah. different, isn't it? Yeah, I think for you there... It's a much bigger deal locally and there in the UK. Hmm. Here's the catch for Disney. Disney still does not own the streaming rights to anything Doctor Who except for the new material. Modern Who old episodes are still on what is now called Max instead of HBO Max. Classic Who is, on, is streaming on several different things. So right now Disney does not have access to that Doctor Who legacy. So why celebrate that, something that they can't sell people, that they can't show them? Yeah, that's the next step for Disney. When those classic Who rights and the modern Who rights come up again, I am sure Disney will acquire them. As soon as the modern Who, the Tenet run, the Eccleston run, the Matt Smith run through, become available when the contract runs out with, um, HB, with Max and Warner Brothers, Disney will be all over that like white on rice, and they will get those rights. Classic Who, because there's just so much weird stuff with Classic Who rights in the U.S., that one might take a little while. But as yeah. soon as Disney is able to acquire 
modern who you're going to really then see that marketing machine kicking even more but right now it's basically new who going forward that's where disney can only focus if everybody doesn't focus on this i get the get the audience and the the mainstream to focus on this then they're won't be a 70th, 75th anniversary, whichever one well, the next one's going to be. I, I the, think, the book could close on Doctor Who, not, if not permanently as a thing, then as a TV show for an extended period of time again. I agree with you, and I think that's that's another key factor here, is I think, unfortunately, to market to the rest of the world, you can say 60 years of Doctor Who, but they've got to put the focus on the marketing of what's coming out in the here and the now. Like you said, it's like a rebirth. You're going to have a lot of people who don't know all the history of Doctor Who or not familiar with it who are going to be jumping on it for the first time, starting with these tenant specials. I do have, if not a quote as such, that's bang on target about this from Russell T. Davies. He has spoken a little about it, again, in Doctor Who magazine, addressing uh, publicity. He said, these are the tricky days right now. We've had the initial rush of excitement Come the summer with Comic Con, but then he puts in brackets. Maybe, perhaps, that's not a promise. And then the BBC's autumn schedule, the heat will begin to intensify. So that's imprint in Doctor Who magazine. That's as much as we've got so far. So that would seem to signal an intent to be there in San Diego come the end of July. It would be a wise move, not only for the UK audience, but for their international audience. Doctor Who. I think right now is about to become more international than it ever has been because it's going to reach more markets than I think it ever has been thanks to Disney+. Plus. Music to my ears, Kyle. I knew you'd be the right guy to come on and to talk <laughs> about this and to fill in some of the gaps at this crucial time in the, uh, in the history of Doctor Who and near enough the midpoint in the anniversary year. But that is the old girl starting up and calling time on yet another edition of Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast i'll be back with another one soon look out for that wherever you found this it could have been at the dedicated home feed for type 40 over at type40.podbean.com maybe we rolled up on the podcatcher of your choice i'm thinking of apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher iHeartRadio. tune in or Podbay, any of those places, then there's a Podbean app itself. We're also on YouTube, the world's largest streaming platform. Plus, we're still on the fabulous Fandom Podcast Network's master feed, loaded up with so many treats for your ears, never mind weekly. You've got it coming at us on the daily over at the Fandom Podcast Network master feed, Kyle. How do you do it, mate? I, I, have, I have no idea, but I do know we have some very fun stuff that's happened recently. Um, <laughs> if, I, if I may throw out a couple of things. Um, last week was the 40th anniversary of Return of the Jedi. We did a live broadcast on, on the Fandom Podcast Network's YouTube channel discussing yeah. the 40th anniversary of Star Wars Return of the Jedi with several guests. Uh, another one of our great shows is Time Warp, and we are covering right now 40th anniversary of all the movies of 1983. We just put out our second part of that. Culture Clash has gone strictly live to the Fan Podcast Network YouTube channel. Kevin and I just recently did our first um, episode of called The Franchise, where we take a franchise, kind of dive into its history and figure out where its place in fandom is. And, and we started off things tying in with one of the big releases here in the United States. Whether you like the franchise or not, you got to admit at this point, with the amount of money it's made, it's a tentpole franchise. And that is, of course, The Fast and the Furious. 
love the fast and the furious oh yeah so if you love the fast and the furious and all the stuff that kyle's been been teasing you with there please consider a trip sideways in time for more of those quality shows from the fpn maybe you'd like to have your say about all of this you can reach out to us through our social media that's instagram and twitter at type 40 doctor who you can email us at type 40 doctor who dot gmail dot com and if you're feeling really really brave you can uh, get us up on your smartphone and and join the type 40 facebook group along with generations upon regenerations worth of doctor who fans classic doctor who fans new doctor who fans and everybody who's there with their fingers crossed and buttocks clenched waiting for all new doctor who that's going to kick off at some point some point later on this year we have to be please look us up on facebook that's where you can get in on the conversation with lots more companions friends and fans just like you kyle where can people reach out to you on social media yeah um you can well obviously you find me all over the fandom podcast network as dan was saying but if you're looking for me personally you can find me on twitter at a kyle w or on instagram at a kyle fandom or find me as kyle wagner on facebook or on the fandom podcast network facebook page yeah and if you're not sick of me banging away about doctor who here here on type 40 a doctor who podcast you can find me too every thursday from 8 p.m live on youtube with type 40 live a live stream magazine show there never seem to stick to the time that we think we're going to run to but it's full of lively conversation and with a live chat full of people there on on social media watching and commenting along it really is a riot so if you haven't tried type 40 live there get in on that and interact with with myself and an assortment of other doctor who fans from all over the world reach out to me through uh, instagram and twitter too i'm there as the space book where i'm wheezing and groaning and ranting and raving about all things geeky inside and outside of the tardis in movies and tv and comic books and now and again kyle the odd bit of everyday real life believe it or not although i do try and i watch watch what i say try not to upset too many too many people oh we're gonna have to have another one of these catch-ups sooner rather than later kyle i have i've really missed talking to you mate good to be out of the busy season of work and you know now it's, it's back to work if kevin doesn't slave drive me too much but no I, i'm looking forward to getting back into more doing a little bit more podcasting work fabulous i look look forward <laughs> to that he's on the starters orders again everybody but yeah that's it for this time we always have the time if you have the space here at type 40 you take care bye bye <laughs>